Good morning. Psalms 115, verse 1 says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. So let us rise this morning as we sing our first song, All to Us.
pray. Heavenly Father, your love is so amazing. Thank you for sending your son to save us from our sins. Help us to show your undying love to others. Show them that you love us no matter what. In your name we pray. Amen.
you may be seated. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, just a couple of announcements, and then we'll have our prayer time. Uh, a few things for the schedule. There's a ladies' movie night, March 17 at 7 p.m. Uh, that'll be um, here. And um, also, uh, there's some information on summer camp. Summer camp is coming up again. Also, we did reserve Timberlake again. That's something that we've done for the last couple years. Uh, we go out to Timberlake camp and, and, and do our, our weekend service out there over Father's Day. And so just want to let you know that, that that's um, uh, going on. And, um, yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, there are other bulletins, though, I would encourage you to read. Um, a couple of prayer requests. Uh, Jody Most, many of you know Jody Most. Uh, her sister, uh, Jan, passed away uh, in this last week, and so we want to be praying for her. And also Pauline Clearing, many of you know Pauline. Um, she's part of a two-weeks missions trip that left for India yesterday. And so I got a phone call from her earlier this week saying, hey, this, this is going on, and, and would you pray for me? So, um, yeah, kind of a, a neat deal there. So let's spend a few moments in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, this morning we, we just want to say, Lord, that we appreciate you, that we love you, that we are thankful, Lord, for all that you give us, provide for us. God, thank you for this church, for this community, that we can be a part of it. Lord, this morning we continue to pray for Kim, just for healing and restoration over her body. Pray for Jody as she grieves the loss of her sister. Pray for Pauline and the others as, as they go on this, this vision trip to, to India. Lord, that they would um, see you and, and see your church in this world in ways that they never have before. Lord, this morning as we continue to look at your word, God, we ask that you would speak to each one of us personally. Lord, I, I pray that, that for all of us here, that, that this week would be marked by gratitude and thankfulness. That, that this would be a week where our attitude towards you, Lord, is marked by, by one of appreciation and gratitude. Because we are so very thankful. And we probably don't say that enough. Stronger, God, you are higher than the ocean. Our 
Thank you, Grace. Good job. One of the first things they teach you in public speaking is that you never, never go on stage with chewing gum. But I didn't say anything about cough drops, so I'm not sure what the rule is on that. So I'm going to be popping cough drops left and right up here. Uh, my apologies. Um, hopefully it won't be a distraction. Probably would not have been unless I had said something. Um, but that's just kind of part of my reality this week. Um, so yesterday, I uh, took the kids to the, the Lincoln Zoo. Uh, Joe is at a bachelorette party down in Wichita, and so Kate, Mike, and I, and we went to the zoo, and it was cold, just kind of borderline miserable, cold. But at, at one point, you know, we, we were walking around, and I don't know, I was looking at the map or my phone, or I was just kind of looking down and just, just kind of in my own little world and spaced off, and there was kind of like a wall or a display or I don't know they, they just got things all over the zoo right probably about probably about six or seven feet tall and uh, and I turned around and talked to the kids and there had been a peacock sitting just like right on the edge that I just walked past and just completely oblivious and I was like is that there the whole time I don't my ninja skills are not so good today um, and just throughout the day like there were other moments like that where I just kind of space off I'd be like oh it's cold and then I'd see something I'd be like was that there the whole time? Like, and so, but that kind of that kind of summarizes my experience with the parable of the sower this week as well too. As I've been going through it, I was like, was that been there the whole time? How come I never saw that before? And so we're we're going to be going through the the parable of the sower and uh, and just looking at some stuff there. Um, we are going through the book of Mark. Um, Mark is a is a fun book. It's one of the four gospels. Uh, the New Testament gives us four accounts of Jesus' life, and so we call them the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, different authors written to different audiences, and so they employ kind of different techniques. Mark is the shortest of the four, um, one of the reasons why we're preaching on it, um, but, uh, but also a very uh, action-based book. He, he doesn't do a lot of, Jesus said this, Jesus said that, he, he, it's a lot more of, Events and, and, and the things that, that Jesus does. And so it's a, a very kind of action-based book. And uh, this is actually the first time in the book of Mark that Mark records one of the parables. And so um, we'll go through and, and, and talk through it here a little bit. I'm going to read uh, some of this, but not all of this, um, just for time. So I'm in Mark, I'm in chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 1. 
Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, sat, sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teachings he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Um, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. Uh, and then when the sun rose, it scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Uh, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Jumping down to, to verse 13, then, he, he explains it. Because the apostles were like, we don't, we, we didn't get any of that. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. Uh, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Uh, and they have no root in themselves, but endure it for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. And they are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Um, today, as we look through this, I want to give you three encouragements and I want to give you three warnings. Your three warnings are the enemy, Satan, that the world wants to push you away from Jesus, and just that sin temptation that lies within all of us. The three encouragements are that gospel presentation matters, that God can multiply amazing things in your life, and to scatter carelessly. Um, a little bit of background on the passage. Uh, Jesus' popularity uh, continues to grow. And not just for his miracles, but really just for his spoken word as well. We see multiple times that people are amazed at his teaching and, and how he taught. And, and he speaks with one who seems to have authority. Like, he just gets it differently than, than the other religious teachers of the day. Like, this guy, just his understanding, his familiarity. I mean, it's, it's like he knows the author or something, you know? And so there's, and, and they recognize in that. And so for both his miracles and his teaching, there's, they're, they're recognizing in that. Um, this is a large crowd. It says that this was a very large crowd. The um, venue that Jesus has been working at has been shifting and changing. I mean, you saw earlier on that he would gather in homes or around homes, right? Like that whole, let's lower the cripple guy through the roof thing. That was in some guy's house. But here the crowd has gotten so large that the house environment doesn't work anymore. And so they are on the, the, the seashore in, in kind of this, this bay area. Um, last summer we had our, uh, you know, we did our service at Timberlake. There were like, what, 50, 60 people there? Um, you know, pretty close in. I, I think I spoke for like maybe like 20 minutes or something. About burned out my voice 
yelling at, at 50 people in close range. So how does this guy preach to thousands for an extended period of time? One of the theories, it doesn't exactly say this, there is, and, and it really just comes back to God's miraculous design of nature, there is a bay in that area that they have nicknamed the Bay of Parables. And it is amazing because they have done tests, and, if, and you know, I mean, sound carries over water really well. So for Jesus to be in a boat, one, sound carries really well. But the way that, that, the, that the, the shoreline kind of rises, they have done tests, and one person, using natural voice, could literally speak to thousands of people w- without problem. I mean, it's just, I, and, and I think God just designed things like that. And one guy was even talking about how he went there, and he's sta- standing there in the Bay of Parables, and he looks around, and he sees all the different kinds of soil that get mentioned in the parable, right? Like he sees the fertile ground, and he sees the rocky ground, and, and like the weeds, and that kind of thing. And so it's just, we're, we're not sure, but that could have been a possibility. Because otherwise, I don't know how else Jesus speaks to a couple thousand people, just physically. It's amazing. So I think God was in on it. Um, what is a parable, too? Um, at its simplest level, people have described a parable as just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And for some of us, like, that works, right? It's kind of a cutesy definition. We'll take it like, like that's fine. Um, for grammar people that really d- delve into the nuances between parables and allegories and fables and that kind of thing, like, that definition totally doesn't work. Way too simplistic, that kind of thing. But, but for some, earthly story with heavenly meaning is okay. Um, parables are real-life stories. So Jesus just pulls stuff from everyday life, right? Jesus talks about a farmer sowing seed. He doesn't talk about, like, unicorns prancing on rainbows, right? Like, it's very, like, yeah, we have one of those. I can relate to that. I saw that on Thursday. You know, like, it's very just kind of in the moment. They require no special knowledge or information. Like, you don't have to have the secret code um, to to understand the, the parable. It's very attainable. But they always have the, the, this deeper meaning that somehow the parable has conveyed in a super concise way. Um, another parable that's very popular is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So a guy's going along, he gets roughed up by robbers, other people come by, don't do anything for him, then the Samaritan comes along, helps him out, blah, blah, blah. Um, one of the amazing things about that story, though, is that the Samaritan is the hero. The Samaritan. Like, that was a people group that was, like, hated, despised, like, all kinds of really nasty racially profiling. I mean, just everyone hated the Samaritans, right? It was very rude of them, okay? But that was the culture that they were living in. So for him to be the, her- the, the hero just blew their minds, right? So this short, quick story conveys this really deep, profound concept that you have to wrestle with for a long time. So parables are designed to be simple but not shallow. You've got to remember that. They're, they're simple but, but they're not shallow. They're designed to have a depth that you can talk about for a long time. Right? Because it took me like, what, two minutes to read that and now we're going to talk about it for like 40 minutes? Well, not to scare you. Maybe 30. We'll see. You'll be out of here in plenty of time. The Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record some 60 different parables that Jesus used. Most of them occur in Matthew and Mark. 
um, I'm sorry, in Matthew and Luke. Mark records a few. Most of his is action stories. What I was amazed to learn is that the book of John includes no parables. None. He includes a few allegories, but he includes no parables. And I always thought that parables were like the staple of Jesus' teaching and that they just appeared in all the Gospels and that kind of thing. John didn't even bother. For John's audience, the parables were not helpful, so he left them out completely. Matthew and Luke relied upon them heavily, Mark so-so. John didn't even touch them. Presentation of the gospel matters. Matthew used a lot of parables. Mark used action stories. John used, I don't know what, life stories, right? Same message. Same timeless gospel. All four books present the fullness of the truth. But each one customizes their presentation of the gospel to the audience. And so we do the same. How we present the gospel will differ than how others present the gospel. How we present the gospel will differ than how we used to present the gospel. Still the same timeless message, but the presentation varies. Um, How do we present the gospel to families living in rural Nebraska? How, How do we, like, what is about farming or agriculture or family business or rural life that we can use a metaphor or bridge to talk about Jesus? I mean, how is rural life different than urban life? How is Nebraska different than South Dakota or Kansas, right? Like, we have to understand our environment really well, understand the gospel really well, so that we can take a timeless message and present it in a relevant way. Uh, I remember one guy sharing a story, and um, I I don't remember who, I just remember the the story. And uh, they they were doing, like, street ministry, and and I'm pretty sure it was on the streets of uh, Vancouver, a large homeless population there. And one guy, I don't know if, if he was a preacher or just knew all the theological words, but he, he presented the gospel, and he just, like, hit all the big theological words in his presentation, you know, that he had just met, like, this dude on the street, right? So he's talking, like, redemption and atonement and ecclesiology, you know, and the guy's just like, you know. And the other guy with him patiently waited for him to finish, you know. And, um, and then he explained it this way. He said, and, and I don't know if he... he he had been homeless or was on the homeless, but he, he just he understood the uh, that life very well. And he said, you know, like when you go to, to one of these places and you get a meal and it looks really good and then you eat too much of it and you just don't feel good and then you just like throw it up. But, but then you just get like a little bit of tea and, and you drink that and it just kind of soothes you, you know. That's kind of like sin and the Holy Spirit. Like the sin looks good and then we eat too much of it and, and just kind of, we don't feel good afterwards. But then when we confess and repent, it's just like we just throw it all up and then the Holy Spirit is just like a little bit of tea that just kind of comes inside. Just soothes you and makes you feel better, you know. Timeless gospel presented in a culturally relevant way. So that's the first encouragement. Presentation matters. Um, Mark, uh, um, <clears throat> so in Mark, in Mark Jesus' parable, as we dive into it, so the seed represents the, the word, right? So this would be scripture, message of Christ, good news of Christ, uh, whatever you want to call it, true knowledge of Christ. That, that's how I would describe it. You and I are represented by the soil. Don't take that too personally that you're represented by dirt. All right, just go with it, okay? Um, 
Once the knowledge and the awareness, the true knowledge of Christ, comes into your life, what do you do with that? Do we give it the opportunity to grow and transform our life, or does something interfere with that growth? When we look back at the whole of Scripture, Scripture actually outlines three different evil forces that we contend with during our time on earth. One is Satan, or the devil, the kingdom of Satan, right? So here you're dealing with like an actual entity or a being. One is just the world around us. There's lots of things and even people who would love to draw us away from God or, 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 or it kind of entices, entice us to chase after the unimportant. And the third is the sinful nature within us, kind of that temptation to just lead a self-absorbed life. And I've never realized it before, but as Jesus walks through this parable, he actually talks about all three. And I find that fascinating, not because I think that was Jesus' primary intention, but to me it just shows the continuity of Scripture. That, that, that things are, are linked, and, and that you, you can use Scripture to understand and, and explain Scripture. So the first warning is about Satan. Jesus says this, <coughs> excuse me, As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Then in verse, teen, verse 15, he explains it like this. And these are the ones along the path where the seed is shown when they, when they hear. Um, Satan immediately comes, takes away the word that was sown in them. So some people will hear the true knowledge of Christ, but immediately, somehow, Satan steals away from that person, and so it never has a chance to grow in their lives. So here's your first warning. You have an enemy. Live like it. And he will flee from you. Ephesians 4.27. Give no opportunity for the devil. We have to remember that our environment is a war zone. And, yeah, 
and we we rarely talk about Satan. We don't really acknowledge his existence. And it may, and one of the effects I think of that, and this amazes me, is how many times people will witness or experience something bad in life, and then they turn around and they blame God. As if he's like the only player on the field. You know, like, God is the one who's on your side. Satan is the one who hates you. Right? Blaming God for your bad stuff is kind of like blaming, like, cops because you got robbed or like firefighters because the fire broke out right like it doesn't make any sense and and i'm actually kind of baffled um at how many people don't believe in satan i mean we in the alpha course they you know they interview people on the streets and they ask people do you believe in the devil and i was amazed at how many people said no you know and it's like well where do you think like bad stuff happens and they're like eh, luck of the draw you know i'm like come on people really Genocide, and you're going to go with lug of the draw? I believe in Satan for two reasons, and they're the exact same reasons that I believe in God. Because Scripture talks about him, and because I see the evidence of him in the world around us. Satan is real, he hates you, he's actively removing the gospel, working to remove the gospel from your life. So you are in a war zone, live like it. Second, second one, second warning. Uh, much of the world wants to, just to draw you away from God or even drive you away from God. Uh, verse 5, this is how uh, Jesus says it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Then this is how Jesus explains it. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word... Immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure it for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they they fall away. I struggled a little bit with with how to talk about this one. Um, One, we don't face the the physical persecution that some of our brothers and sisters face uh, around the globe. I mean, right now, ISIS is getting a lot of press. But there's actually a lot of stuff going on in other places of the world, right? I mean, it's, um, it is really rough uh, to be a Christian in, in certain parts of the world. And, and we need to continue to pray for them. Um, but for us, like, we don't really live in that fear of the violence because of our faith. We do see um, increasing social pressure, right? People are like, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, well, you must be a lunatic or hate this people group or hate that people. I mean, like, people, it's just all these assumptions. It's just you're weird and you hate other people. And it's, um, yeah, just really odd. For a long time, Christianity was sort of the socially accepted belief system in North America. Um, So it held a place of favor. But that is not the case today, and that continues to to change. Um, We we are watching that favor and kind of a default trust that was extended to us, um, that's all vanishing. And so we're going to have to do things differently. Um, and while, while that is true, and while it is true that many parts of the world would love to draw you away from Christ or push you away from Christ, I also don't want to build up this fear of non-Christians or, or of this world, right? Like, I don't want to perpetuate this idea that no one wants to hear the gospel. It's actually quite the opposite. I, I think it was um, uh, Daniel Quirin was, was telling me uh, about this book, and, and I, I need to get a hold of it, but, and he was sharing the, the stats, but 
I think it's only like 5 or 10% of the people surveyed would actually respond with hostility towards the gospel. Most would be, or, or a fair number would be in the neutral position. And I want to say like a quarter, maybe like 25%, would respond with gratitude at having been given that information. And so I don't want to create this like fear or paranoia or, you know, lock the doors and stock up on food and ammo mentality, that kind of thing. Like, pursue people. Pursue people with the gospel. And oftentimes you will find them grateful for lovingly sharing this information with them. Like, oh, that's great. Thanks for letting me know. I've enjoyed our our conversation, you know. Love courageously and know that people are, are seeking that which you present. Third warning, just that personal sin temptation within each of us. Um, Verse 7, this is how Jesus describes it. Uh, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. Then verse 18, this is how Jesus describes it. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us, For the love of money, important wording there, love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And it is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Right? It's not saying rich is the root of all kinds of evil, because you can find rich people who love money, and you can find poor people who love money. Right? You're... Well, what your bank statement says doesn't tell us whether or not, you know, this is happening in your life. Uh, James 1, verse 14. But each one of us is tempted when, by his own desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Or, as the great theologian Jim Carrey once said, I wish that everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed so that they would know that that's not the answer. I've noticed even in my own life that the, that the more stuff I acquire, the more I get distracted with the maintenance and upkeep of that stuff. But I want to be spiritual, so I call it stewardship. But really, it's like distractedness, right? And, you know, I mean... Cars need the oil changed and vacuumed, and the house needs to be cleaned, and guns need shooting, and the yard needs mowing, and, you know, you've got your financial investments. I'm just going to check online, like, every day, like, how's their performance, or, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and all under the banner of good stewardship, but really it's just distracted. Like, that, like, back when I was poor and had nothing, I wasn't nearly so distracted. And I was super mobile, and you couldn't really threaten to take anything from me because I really didn't have anything anyways, you know? So, yeah. And this is just a, a, a temptation in all of us, and honestly, we're going to wrestle with it till we die. So, dig in for the long haul, right? But the pattern that, that can creep in, that, that we have to be dangerous, though, that, that can be dangerous, that we have to be aware of, is that good things become the distraction and the enemy of the best things. 
We get so distracted with our stewardship that we neglect the, the really important things in life. So those are your three warnings. Here's your second encouragement. Verse 8. Other seed fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And then Jesus uh, describes it this way in verse 20. But those who were sown on, on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This, yeah, this is, this is the fruitful response. A changed life is the evidence of salvation, right? Different people will produce different fruits in different amounts, right? But there's always, there's always something. Um, one of, several of my commentaries mentioned that a harvest of 60-fold or 100-fold was ludicrous. Like, back then, those farming conditions, no one, no one ever got those kind of yields. I'm not even sure 30-fold was really all that, that realistic, right? I mean, it's just, it is way beyond practical. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so on Wednesday night, we've been going through the, the Alpha video series. And it's fun because within that, they include a lot of stories and testimonies of people who, whose lives were changed. And I'm sure they just picked, you know, kind of their favorites and their most dramatic. But, I mean, it's so many times it seems like we see some story of some guy who is just a, like a thug and a criminal and just really violent um, and, really, and really broken. Right? I mean, the last guy we watched, I mean, he just... Like, I don't know, he had knife scars on his face and no front teeth and both arms have been ripped out of the sockets at one point in time. And, you know, and, this, and we're like, we've had several of these stories, right? Just really violent men. But then they encounter Jesus. And, and oftentimes there, there's some kind of um, uh, really kind of dynamic moment at the point of salvation. But then there's kind of this longer time of growing and maturing. And today, these men are peaceful and, like, they have families and kids. Um, a lot of them are, like, some have gone into the ministry. Some are simply running alpha courses. A lot of these guys are going back to the prison where they stabbed other prisoners. And they're running alpha course and, and, and teaching people about Jesus. And they're, they're being welcomed back into these environments. And, and it's amazing. No, no secular person would have predicted that kind of hope, that kind of turnaround, uh, that kind of transformation. Their life is yielding the 60-fold, 100-fold increase, right? I mean, the 100-fold increase for crops was ludicrous, but Jesus wasn't talking crops. He was talking people. He was talking people who encountered the word of Christ who had said yes to salvation, who, the restoration of Jesus, who had welcomed the Holy Spirit into their lives, who, who had loved and worshipped God the Father, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. <coughs> another pastor in California once overheard him telling another story. He worked with a gal, devout atheist. She worked in some kind of rehab. I, I don't think it was like drug or alcohol. I think it had to do something with the prison system. I don't recall. Um... And, and, it was, and it was her opinion that none of the programs worked except for the church. Devout atheist. But she said, I've looked at all the programs, done all the programs, watched people go through all of them. 
None of them work. The only one that works is the church. I don't care what your story is. If you let Jesus get involved, he can do amazing things. And so that, that's your second encouragement, that God can do amazing things in your life. That your life can be the 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Third encouragement, scatter carelessly. The other way that we can picture ourselves in this story is actually as the farmer. Um, and actually that actually works for all Christians really well. What we have been given is too good to keep to ourselves. So we create opportunities to share it with others, right? Share about Jesus, who he is, the truth of the scripture, right? The word, whether you want to call that evangelism or discipleship or, or helping the orphan and the widow or good Christian living, whatever you want to call it. But, but we scatter the knowledge of Christ. What's interesting is that the farmer, when he's sowing the seed, he's really pretty careless and reckless with it, but he also never gets scolded with it. Like, as a good farmer, he should have known, like, don't, don't waste the seed, you know, on the thorns, on the path, on, on the rocky ground. Another good farmer could have walked up along beside him and be like, what are you doing? This is so wasteful. You're, you're wasting three quarters of the seed. You know, focus in over here on just the fertile ground. Don't even bother with all that other stuff. But he, 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 is, he almost kind of is reckless with how and where he, he scatters the, the, the seed. And, I mean, I am a big proponent of effectiveness and understanding effectiveness and, and working towards that. But what I read in here, though, is that there is no blame for trying and failing at a lot of different stuff. Oh, yeah, we tried the so-and-so ministry. Totally flopped. Yeah, yeah, we, we tried uh, phone evangelism. That didn't go so well. I don't know. I made that up. I've never heard of anyone doing that. I was trying to think of a ministry that no one's ever actually done. But, you know, like different stuff works in different areas, you know, and some stuff, like it just totally won't work at all. And, and I read in here, like, that's okay. Try and fail at a lot of different stuff. Thomas Edison, in, they don't actually know how many experiments he did to, to figure out the light bulb. Uh, they, think it, they do think it was over a couple thousand. Apparently, though, he also came up with the alkaline battery, and that took about 10,000 experiments. Well, good heavens, like, the light bulb and the battery, like, have revolutionized humanity when you think about it. Now you can get them at almost any corner store, you know? But he had to try and fail all these things. But eventually his breakthrough, like, revolutionized our life. The farmer probably wasted three quarters of, his, uh, of the seed on this, right? He's never scolded. He's never reprimanded for his careless use. I mean, he should have known better. But he's like, well, you know, maybe something good will come of it. And sometimes we just get so worried and so turned off of, of, that, that people are going to get offended that, that we don't say anything. It was interesting. Billy Graham recently did a, a crusade in, in Vancouver. And uh, people were worried about it. Vancouver is kind of an interesting place. Uh, in downtown Vancouver, you actually have fewer Christians per capita than mainland China. Like, like <laughs> there's no church <laughs> right there, you know. And, and people are just worried that a lot of people are going to get offended by the gospel message. 
I don't know, and maybe some were, but yet at the same time, they saw an overwhelming response to the gospel. Just waves of people coming forward. And that, I mean, I know church planners in the Vancouver area. I haven't talked to them about it. My assumption is that they're thrilled. I mean, you just don't see those kinds of results um, in Vancouver or in places like Vancouver. Three warnings, three encouragements. Satan, watch out for the enemy. Uh, He wants to take God's message from you, uh, and he hates you. Um, You so live like it. The cares of the world, be on your guard, but love courageously, and know that people are seeking that which you possess. Personal temptation. Uh, You and I are going to struggle with with that sin temptation for a long time, um, but we just keep battling against it. And encouragements. Gospel presentation matters. Whether you use parables or action stories or just life stories, we take the timeless gospel and we present it in a culturally relevant way. God can multiply amazing things in your life. If God can take the violent, broken thug from prison, turn him around, and then send him back into that prison to do ministry, I'm pretty sure he could find something to do with you, you know? And to scatter carelessly. The farmer never gets scolded for scattering in places that he never should have been scattering. And it's a great message for you and I. And just as a church, as we look to grow disciples and multiply churches, um, that's a great message. Scatter carelessly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, a timeless message. Lord, thank you that we can see it anew and afresh uh, in a new way today, Lord. We give you credit for that. God, your, your, your word is just so full of good stuff. And so much that, that we can take with us. God, I pray just for a protection and a blessing over this group. Lord, we do live in a war zone. And God, may we, may we be aware of that and live like it. But at the same time, Lord, what you have given us is too good to keep to ourselves. So Lord, help us find creative ways to share that which people are seeking and would be grateful to receive. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let us stand for this last song, This I Believe.
are dismissed. I believe in God, our Father. I believe.